Good evening, everybody. How you guys doing? Did anybody find the Band-Aid? We were stirring the beans and it fell off my finger. I just... Not really. We used to do that. That was like a thing we did at youth barbecues. We'd always get a Band-Aid sanitary and we'd put it on one of the patties and um, grill it up. You know, we'd color it with a red marker and stuff. And sure enough, one of the youth would bite into it and their face would go pale and it was... It was a thing of beauty, thing of beauty. Turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 tonight, as we're looking at the life of Jacob, I mean Joseph. Hebrews chapter 11. I'd just like to take a second to say uh, my wife and me moved up um, last October, moved down actually from Modesto and Coming out of a church, I'd been going there for 18 years, and so I never had the experience of coming in somewhere and being kind of the outsider. And uh, it wasn't long uh, that I was an insider because of you guys. I've never experienced uh, the body of Christ in such an amazing way. The first Sunday I was here, somebody laid hands on me and prayed for me, not knowing anything about me. And uh, I was blown away, and I was blown away to see um, the, the older people, the older saints, getting up and ministering to the youth after service, and I just couldn't believe it. And uh, people reached out to us and invited us over for dinner, and uh, at such a critical time in our lives, at such a, a necessary time, and I say that uh, for two reasons. First, to say thank you, and just I hope to encourage you, keep doing it, church. Man, new faces coming in every Sunday through those doors. Just go up to them. Share the love of Jesus with them. Amen. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. We're going to be looking at verse 22, the life of Joseph tonight. Hebrews 22, or 11.22 says, By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. Pray with me. Jesus, we come before you now. We thank you for being in this uh, place, Lord. Lord, we just pray that you'd bless your word. Lord, we need you. There's no mistake uh, uh, about it. We need you, Lord. God, I pray that you would move in the way that everybody needs tonight. Lord, some of us just desperately need encouragement, Lord. Some of us, Lord, uh, need a little exhortation to keep going and to keep running, Lord. Lord, I pray you'd meet us where we're at, Lord. We're drawing near to you now, Lord, so please draw near to us, God. We know you will. Holy Spirit, fall on this place. Lord, when we come in contact with you, we're never the same. And so, Lord, bind broken hearts. Lord, touch us tonight. We thank you, Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hebrews um, chapter 11 is an amazing chapter, as you guys who've been coming out week to week probably already know. Um, The encouragement there is amazing. The encouragement to keep running uh, uh, and living this life of faith. And I love... Um, uh, In chapter 12, uh, verse 1, read it with me. It says, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking into Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And this chapter in this section of scripture has encouraged me over the years um, in an amazing way. And I love pictures and I love pictures in the Bible and I love the picture that verse 1 of chapter 12 gives us. Uh, The Christian life is likened to a race and uh, not just any race but a race of endurance. And the goal, our finish line is Jesus Christ. He's the one we are going to. He's the one we are running after. He's the one who our eyes uh, uh, need to lock on to. And when we see him, we need to run and we need to run hard, especially if you guys follow the news. You know, uh, what manner of persons ought we to be in these times? 
And so, over the years, um, Hebrews 11 and the lives of the saints in Hebrews 11 have encouraged me in my race. Many times I become discouraged and uh, I want to sit down. Sometimes I even want to quit. Sometimes I get tired, I, I grow weary. And that's how it is in the Christian life. There are those times. But each of these lives that we've been learning about, as it says in verse 1, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, or a group of witnesses, who are those witnesses? They're the people in Hebrews chapter 11. And what do they witness to? They testify to the fact that this life of faith can be lived. It's not impossible. It is possible that no matter how hard it gets, no matter what we face, whatever circumstances uh, uh, come in our way, that this life of faith can be accomplished. And so we've learned about Abel. We've learned that God desires obedience over sacrifice. And no amount of religion or uh, good ideas or a good heart can compete with that simple obedience. Oh, the obedience that God desires of, uh, of us. Enoch, oh man, sometimes I would get so busy and, and, and you know, I'm doing this and I'm serving a million places here and there and Enoch would remind us, right, by his life that what pleases God is just simply a walk with him. It's the fellowship that he craves that he's after in each one of us. It's not the doing, it's not the action. He wants us. And how encouraging that's been over the years. Enoch, so encouraging. Noah, as Pastor G shared, and sometimes at work or wherever we find ourselves at, we can become, we can feel really alone. Sometimes in school, high school, or, or in college, and it just feels like we're the only ones who are following after God. But Noah encourages, doesn't he, that even if we're the only ones on the planet, it's possible to continue to follow hard after God. It's possible to live this life of faith. Abraham, when he moved his family out and how we get caught up sometimes and we look at uh, uh, you know, what's around us and we get caught up with uh, you know, the temporal things. And Abraham chose to live in a tent and he looked forward to a home, a heavenly home, whose builder, builder and maker is God. And so that idea, that encouragement, hey, don't get caught up in these things, but keep your eyes on heaven. That's where you're going. You're pilgrims on this earth. You're passing through this place. We're not home. We're going home. And I hope soon. Right? Sarah. Sarah is such an encouragement that God's promises aren't limited by our circumstances. Not limited by these tents. If God says it, it's going to happen, Right? There's nothing that can come against that. And uh, Abraham and Isaac, the beautiful picture that God tests our faith to show us that we might come forth as gold, right? In the testing of our faith. And then Isaac. And Isaac in his life was kind of a behind-the-scenes guy, but here he is in Hebrews 11. Why? Because he simply believed. He believed the promises of God. He believed it was going to happen, and he lived his life accordingly. Jacob, that beautiful man who I so identify with, a heel catcher, a supplanter, someone who was always fighting, somebody who was conniving and trying to make things happen. And yet God fought him. And God changed his name and gave him a new name and broke him to bless him. And how encouraging that's been that when the chastening of God comes upon my life, it's not because He's a wrathful God, but it's because He's a blessing God. And then we come to Joseph. Joseph. The life of Joseph. We'll come back to this verse at the end, but I want just to cover a couple things in the life of Joseph. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. Now Joseph's life um, covers... 13 chapters. Um, so we're not going to uh, take all 13 chapters. Um, or we need to go hurry up and use those free latte cards we got. So we come to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to look at a couple things and then there's a theme that govern, 
Joseph's life. It's, it's beautiful, and I hope it's encouraging to you tonight. It has changed my life. In verse 1 of chapter 37, it says, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Billah um, and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now the story picks up with Joseph, and he's 17 years old. So here we are all of a sudden, and we're introduced to Joseph, and he's a teenager. But there's a lot that happened when Joseph was younger in his life that made Joseph who he was. Joseph uh, um, had a mom, Rachel. Uh, Rachel was married to Jacob, but it took Jacob 14 years to acquire her. Jacob, um, you know, worked for Laban, and, uh, and so uh, Laban tricked uh, Jacob, because, you know, Jacob was good uh, work. The Lord was blessing the work of his hands. And so uh, on the wedding night, uh, he's thinking he's marrying Rachel, the love of his life. And, and here is Leah, you know, and, and he's married to her. And so another seven years and he gets uh, Rachel shortly after uh, J- uh, Joseph's born. And so they decide, Jacob, to pick up and to move out of there. The Lord had blessed them and prospered them. The Lord had given them herds and cattle and sheep, and so they split off. And so here Joseph is, is a very young boy, and he sees a series of events in his life that impacts him. First of all, it's Laban pursuing hard after them and, you know, coming with this show of force. And then it's Jacob and Esau meeting up and the dreaded, you know, fear that went through the camp that night. As Jacob got everybody in their camps, and here comes Esau, what's he going to do, you know? Is he going to kill us? Is he going to slaughter us all? He's coming with 400 men, you know? Here we are, and you know, what's going to happen? And here is a young boy, he must have just sat back and watched. But his father came back that night very different. In fact, he came back with a little limp, or maybe a big limp, and a piece about him. And so, soon after that, they'd come to Bethel. And whereas the other uh, brothers, the brothers of Joseph, knew Jacob as somebody who was conniving, they knew Jacob as Jacob, Joseph knew his dad entirely different. Your homework is to read Genesis 35. It's one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible, especially for fathers. Jacob comes back to the place where he met God. And he's different. And he's different. And we don't know. The Bible's not explicit. It doesn't, you know, say that Joseph made a commitment to the Lord there. But here he was, six or seven years old. Very impressionable. Here was his dad. Dad who loved him. And now the dad took charge and said, get rid of your idols. Get rid of everything. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to make a covenant with God. We know from the rest of the book of Genesis that the brothers weren't into that. But we know from the life of Joseph that something must have happened. But soon after that, um, tragedy came. And uh, Deborah, um, a close friend, like uh, uh, somebody who looked after them, died. And then soon after that, his mom, Rachel, was giving birth to Benjamin. And then she, in childbirth, passed away. Close to Bethlehem. Close to the place that Ruth and Boaz would meet. Close to the place where David would one day shepherd sheep as a little boy. Close to the place where Joseph and Mary would ride on a donkey into uh, Bethlehem to be counted for the census. So here was this experience, and then Isaac passes away. But you can imagine the questions that a little boy would have, the stories he'd want to hear, the stories about the ladder coming out of heaven and the angels climbing up and down. You can imagine that here, Joseph, you know, as any little kid do, that is if you guys have little kids, they ask all, why, why this and why that? And they could see his limp. 
And he'd ask, Dad, tell me about your limp. Ah. Well, one night when Esau was coming and we were all scared and I tried everything I could, I met God, an angel of the Lord, or the angel of the Lord, and he wrestled with me. And I wrestled with him and I fought him all night. And in the morning, he took my hip out of joint. Joseph, maybe a puzzled expression. Well, why did he do that? Do we serve a mean God? Is he like the gods of the Canaanites? The gods of wrath who are vengeful? Now Jacob must have said, oh no, my son. He hurt me to bless me. Well, how did he bless you? Well, my name was Jacob. I meant heel catcher, supplanter. And I fought all my life. And he changed my name that night to Israel. God fights. God fights. How I think that must have stuck. Whatever it was that happened, there's something in Joseph when we pick up the story in verse 17 that is, there's a foundation that's been laid. There is a faith and a trust in God that is beautiful. So we pick up in 37. It says, now he brings a bad report to his father of his brothers. And so he, something must have been pretty awful. And so uh, he gives his father the report of it. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. They were, there we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose also stood upright and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf and his brothers said to him shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion over us so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words and so here jacob he loved his son joseph he loved him and there uh, uh and joseph loved jacob Later on, when Joseph would be in Egypt, he would inquire every single time, does, does, does your father live? Does your father live? And immediately when he reveals himself to his brother, he says, tell dad to come down here. I want to see him. And so here they are. They have this special relationship. And so Joseph, uh, Jacob takes and he makes a coat of many colors. Now we think sometimes that it's a, a rainbow coat or a techno color dream coat or um, you know whatever it may be. Uh, most likely... It was uh, a white kind of a satiny uh, gown that was colorfully embroidered on the edges. It had long sleeves and would go all the way to the ground. Uh, and why did that make the brothers so mad? Because it said basically that Joseph's of nobility, he's going to inherit uh, the inheritance. And that he doesn't have to work. Here, the guys, as shepherds, they would, you know, uh, not have the sleeves and so that they could carry sheep on their back. They're climbing up hills. They're doing dirty things. Their garments would be colorful to, you know, hide the stains and, and different kinds of things. And so, so here, Joseph is, and he gets this garment that pretty much says, hey, I'm in charge here, you know, kind of a thing. And so the brothers hated him for it. In fact, they were envious of him for it. And so... Um, they said, shall you have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to you on the earth? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. You see, Jacob, he also saw visions. He also met with God. And so there was something in this when he thought about it. And so Joseph, here, 17 years old, called of God. Called of God to do great things. Called of God in an amazing way. God had given him and said, hey, this is what it's going to be. This is what it's going to be. And so um, his brothers, upset, didn't like it. 
It says, Then his brothers, in verse 12, went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out to the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. And so here his father says, Hey, I want you to go look and see what your brothers are up to. So here's this young man, visions in his mind of the great things that God's going to do. And he's excited about things. And no sooner does the call of God come into his life than the preparation of God starts for that calling. And we'll see as his brothers deal with him that it plays beautifully into the hand of God. You guys all have a calling tonight on your life as a child of God. God has called each of you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called, as it says in Ephesians 4.1. You guys, God has something for you to do. It's to walk in fellowship with Him. It's to be a light in the places that He's put you. It's to use your gifts to encourage and edify this body. But know that you are called, that there's a purpose and a plan for your life. So important that we know that, that we don't just take the, the route of, you know, uh, I'm just going to kick back till the Lord comes back. It's the idea of the race again. It's to know the purpose and the plans that God has and then to run hard for those purpose and plans in our life. And each of us have been called, and some of you know that tonight. Perhaps you don't know that tonight. And God has called you. And He desires to use you in amazing ways. In amazing ways, you guys. Our God is a big God. He's an amazing God. And we think too small sometimes. And here I am doing this and that. But you've been called. And so... He comes and he looks after his brothers and they see him coming from afar off and they hate him and they even say, let's see what becomes of his dreams. You know, we're going to kill him. So they take him and they grab him and they throw him into a pit. And here he is and he's in this pit and uh, they, they're going to kill him. And, you know, Reuben says, no, 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 don't kill him. You know, we can't kill him. And Reuben secretly plans to come back and rescue him. But here the preparation of God starts in the pit. Here it starts in the pit. Here he is, he's got this call on his life, this vision in his mind. And the Lord now starts the preparation. C.H. Spurgeon once said, if I had you know, eight minutes to chop down a tree, I'd spend six of those minutes sharpening the axe. And preparation is important to the Lord. Preparation is huge to the Lord. Preparation can be hard for us because preparation can take many forms. It can take the form of suffering. It can take the form of just being a servant in a house or just to do and go to work every single day. But know this, that God doesn't waste a second in preparation. God is accomplishing the preparation in your life as fast as possible. But preparation can be a hard thing. And Joseph finds himself in this pit. The brothers later uh, declare, they said, Did we not hear the anguish of his soul as he cried from the pit? And here Joseph is, and he's crying to his brothers. He's saying, Brothers, what are you doing to me? I am your flesh. I am your blood. And one of the hardest things that can happen in a life is rejection. And rejection by family. And it can be so brutal and it can be so hard and it can be so breaking. So they see a caravan coming their way and they decide, hey, we can make a quick buck off of, uh, you know, Joseph. So they sell him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites as a slave. They got to cover their tracks so they take this coat They shred it into pieces and they kill a goat and sprinkle its blood. They take it back to their father Jacob and they said, look at what we found. 
And he mourns and he mourns and no one can comfort him. My son, my son, Joseph, my son. He thinks he's dead. He thinks he's dead. And Joseph here, this young man, is now in one moment in time on his way to Egypt to be sold as a slave. And I look at the life of Joseph and I would say, okay, that would, that, that, me, I'm done. I sit down in my race, I make a bed, and I build a little house. But notice, in chapter 39, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now, him being a captain of the guard, um, uh, he would be in charge of uh, executions. Now, if I was going to be sold into a house as a slave, probably not the first place I'd want to go. You know, that, 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 yeah, okay. Hey, boss. But notice in verse 2, it says that the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and the master saw that the Lord was with Joseph. And that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessings of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And so here Joseph is and he's down in Egypt and he gets sold as a slave and he begins to work. But it says that the Lord was with Joseph and in preparation, that is so key. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. In fact, you're in a special room in his house where he is making a beautiful work of art. As he chisels away, as he fashions and he molds, as he refines us, as he heats us, as he draws out the dross in our lives so that that reflection might be seen. And so the Lord is with Joseph. The Lord is with Joseph. The Lord blesses Joseph. Here Joseph is doing the most mundane things in life, scrubbing floors, doing this and that. And the Lord's with them. And the Lord's blessing him. And maybe you are in this place today and, and, you know, it's just the most mundane kind of thing in your life. But do you know the Lord is with you? Oh, ask Him to bless you. That you might see uh, your work and the things of your hands differently. That you wouldn't just, you know, I'm just working, you know, getting my eight and I'm gone. But all oh, that you could be a light for the Lord. That people might say of you, man, I don't know what it is about that kid, but... The Lord's with him. The way he works. The heart in his work. And so it was evident that the Lord was with Joseph. So it was uh, that he worked. Now uh, in 7, Joseph comes into and uh, is, uh, comes into temptation. Now it says at the end of verse 6 that he was handsome in form and appearance. And, and uh, he, was a, he was a good looking guy. He was desirable. And so in uh, verse 7, it says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. Okay. Pretty straightforward, girl. Here she is. She's married to Potiphar, and, you know, here's this handsome guy, and she says, Um, lie with me. What? And it says in verse 8, But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has into my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. Hello? How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. It's an amazing thing. Here's this young boy. You know, they say the peak sexual range is 17 to 20, you know, in there. And here he is, dead in the middle. Here's this young boy who, you know, was so excited about following God. 
and then it seems like God has abandoned him. He's in this foreign place. The Hebrew God isn't worshipped in this place. And here he is in this place where there's no such thing as accountability and uh, where you can imagine the other servants are, yeah, you know, kind of rooting things on. And, and here's this young man who had such a solid foundation in God. And his responses are fascinating. I just quickly want to point out six things to you and how Joseph overcame this temptation. Notice, um, first of all, it says in verse 10, So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Joseph, first of all, removed himself from temptation. He, didn't, he said, you know what, I'm not even going to be around her. I'm going to stay out here. I'm going to be over here. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to go there. Why do you think? Was he mean? Oh, that's so hurtful, Joseph. Was he weak? Oh, what a weak man. He can't deal with a woman. Yeah, it was because he was weak. And we would grow a mile to recognize our weakness, especially in this area. Men of God, remove temptation from your midst. Don't even be around it. Don't allow it into your home. Just don't let it in. Just don't be around it. The way of escape a lot of times is not to even be there. And so he wasn't there. He wasn't around it. Notice with me in um, verse 8, secondly, but he refused. He refused her. What? He said no. He said no. You know what? No. Nope. No, I refuse. And that's an awesome thing. You see, we were once slave to sin. You know, we did what sin wanted us to do. We were its slave. It led us this way and it led us that way. But now that we've been set free, we're no longer uh, slaves to sin. We've been set free, and one of the greatest things about being set free is saying no. Is saying no. 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 And he said no to her. So important that we do. Notice with me in verse uh, 9, he says, Thirdly, there is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Then also in verse 8, he says, Look, my master does not know what is with me in this house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. You see, one of the greatest things that we can do, and what Joseph did, is he thought about the consequences to it. Here he is, and he looks, and he says, You know what? The master's committed all these things into my hand. What's going what's to happen if I do this? He hasn't given me. I'm, this is all going to be lost. He's trusting me. And it helped him to refuse. It helped him to say no. It helped him to remove himself from the greatest thing that I've ever done in my life, in this area of my life. I got away with a notepad and I sat quietly by myself with a bottled water and I wrote down very openly what the consequences would be if I sinned in this area. And you write down, oh, my family will be destroyed. My kids will grow up and probably... Hate God, seeing I'm a hypocrite. And you begin to write down the consequences of sin, and you know what? It don't look good no more. And I encourage you guys, as men of God and as women of God, take some time out and think about the consequences to sin. What do they play out as? What do they look like? What would happen Surely it would happen. Sin's not going to have any different effect in your life than it has in all the lives that have gone before you. You can look to them. You can look to the people of the Bible what's going to happen. And so, so important. So important that we take time to think. I remember after I did that shortly, I remember this girl specifically kind of smiled at me in a flirtatious way. And this was all fresh in my mind, you know, and I kind of just went... She was like... Like, fine. 
But you know what? That's kind of good. Sin will not have a different effect and a different outcome in your life than it has in all the people and all the history that's gone before you. It won't. And so you think about it. You think about Fourthly, notice with me, he says, um, he says in verse 9, he says, How then can I do this great wickedness? Oh, we haven't heard that term very often, huh? Great wickedness? It's not adultery, it's an affair. An affair to remember. Right? And I love it. Because he called it for what it was. He said, this is wicked. It's evil and it's abhorrent in front of the eyes of God. And I will not even venture in that. Oh, that we could have that rise up within us. God, tonight even give us uh, your eyes for sin. God, even tonight give us your hatred for sin. It's kind of like a fly, right? You know, people treat flies differently in all parts of the world, right? You know, in, in, in different countries, they don't know a whole lot about sanitation and, and the whole thing. You know, they, they're everywhere. You see the pictures in the magazine, you know, you see the video. And they're on the kids' faces, they're on the cattle, and, you know, and who knows, it might be uh, Aunt Soon Dead or Uncle Gonna Bite It, you know. Um, who knows? And so there's just, they're kind of, uh, they roam. You know, in America, we count ourselves more sophisticated. Dear me, there's a fly. We have a fly swatter. And so, you know, we beat these flies and we keep them out. We've got screen doors and windows. We've got blowers and everything. But, you know, at a picnic, we get a, you know, a picnic, you know, the potato salad. There's a fly. We shoo it away. Shoo fly. Right? But in an operating room, the body's open. If a fly is spotted in that room, the whole operation is put on hold. The body is sealed and that fly will be killed with ruthless precision and vigorous tenacity. But sin's kind of like that. There's people who, you know, sin and just let it go. We as Christians, you know, we kind of take a more, you know, the, the, the big ones. We, we keep it out, you know. But every once in a while, we just kind of shoot it away. And I think the Lord would have us, you know, see sin the way he sees sin. Guys, his creation, I mean, they're going to hell. Every second here. And he hates it. He hates it because it destroys it just utterly destroys. It utterly destroys. Notice with me, fifthly, that he says, I won't sin against God. And a lot of times we think sin is my failure. And I don't have victory in my life. And sometimes we can get so caught up in our society with the whole win-lose thing. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't do good today. I, I lost more than I won. Or I didn't have victory. I failed. I victory failed, you know, and this whole thing church that we would come to the place where we realize that when we sin it's against God that it breaks his heart it's not about us right but it breaks our father's heart who gave his son to free us from that yet we take these chains up again and say I want it how it breaks his heart that we would see that. And Joseph said, I'm not going to sin against my God. And then finally, what does he do? In verse 11, and it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men in the house was inside that she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment and her hand fled and ran outside. And so here he comes to the place where she grabs him. She says, I am going to have you. And he says, I'm out of here. Why did he run? That always, why did, he, why did he run? I'm convinced that if he would have stayed a second longer, he would have fallen. And sometimes we just got to get out of there. We just got to run. We got to run. We run. Flee youthful lusts. It's amazing. You look at, you know, we're, we're to stand the, uh, uh, and and... Uh, firm and you know and, and to fight and um, 
you know, against the enemy and, uh, and to put down and put to death sin and its lust. And, but we're told to flee when it comes to sexual temptation. It's very strong, very strong. So Joseph, um, here he is, and, and he, he has victory. He, he, he has victory in this area of his life. Here he is alone in, in an amazing way. And how awesome, and you would think that God would, you know, open and part uh, the clouds and a voice from heaven would boom out, and, you know, he'd, yeah, yes, you know, kind of a thing. But what happens is that, you know, um, Potiphar's wife, you know, goes to Potiphar, and she has his coat, and she says, he tried to rape me, you know, and everything, and, you know, hell hath no fury, right, like a woman. And so, um, scorned. Get some hate mail on that one. Uh, and so, you know, so here he is in, in Potiphar, uh, and I'm convinced that Potiphar knew his wife and, and knew what was going on. Here, here he is. He, he does the executions and stuff, and, uh, you know, he just, just kill him. I mean, right? You know, kind of a thing. And he has been in his right mind, but he takes Joseph, and here he is, the slave, and he puts him, interestingly, into uh, uh, the prison for um, the king's prisoners. And so here, uh, it's a special prison, and so he puts him in prison. But here Joseph is. He has victory in this area. He stood up for God. He stood righteously, and now he's put into prison. Here he is. He's in prison. He's in prison. He's in prison. Psalm 105, verse 18 says that it wasn't a good prison. In fact, it says that they bound his feet with fetters and laid him in irons. It wasn't just like here, hang out for a time. But here he was and he was bound and he was shackled like a criminal for doing what was right. But then there's that verse again. The Lord was with Joseph. In verse 21 and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And so here Joseph was. And Joseph would be in this prison. And the Lord would begin to bless him again. The Lord was with them in this prison. The Lord was with them. The Lord was with them. The Lord was with them. But Joseph was in this prison. And so far gone must have been those dreams that he had that one day he would be elevated to this position. And here he finds himself. And we know the story, and uh, uh, if you don't, I'll briefly just kind of run it by you, but that, you know, the, a baker and a butler come in, and they have these dreams, and Joseph interprets the dreams. They come out right. Joseph says, remember me when you get out to the cupbearer. He says, you know, tell him I'm in here unjustly. And it says by the scripture that the cupbearer forgot Joseph. Two more years go by. Oh. And how he must have thought, you know, the first knock as soon as the cupbearer was gone, the first door opening, ah, I'm free. But time went by and time went by and time went by and time went by. But time wasn't the only thing to happen there. There was some amazing surrender there. Because Pharaoh would call upon Joseph when he heard that Joseph could interpret dreams and none of his wise men could. And Pharaoh uh, 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 would bring him up and it says quickly they brought him up. They shaved his head. He stood before Pharaoh. He says, can you interpret dreams? And one of the most beautiful things Joseph says, here he has his chance to be set free. Here he, here he is. You know, okay, I can play this right. I'm out, of this, I'm out of this prison. I can tell him what happened, what really happened. And what Joseph simply says is he says, it is not me who gives you the interpretation. It's God. It's God. Oh, Joseph. And so then Pharaoh says something so beautiful. He says, is there a man like this in whom the Spirit of God is? And so he elevates Joseph's second in command and Joseph has this plan and he, there's seven years of, uh, of, of, of abundance and plenty and so he brings it in and, and then there's seven years of famine. Just as he interpreted the dreams and he's got a plan and now not only is the nation of Egypt saved but all the nations surrounding as they hit this famine they come to Egypt and there's an abundance and there's enough because of the plans and the provision and oh in the way of God he brings the brothers who sold him as a slave he brings them to this land on their knees as they ask for bread from him. 
And it says that he speaks roughly with them. And they don't recognize him. He's much different. He's grown much older. He's 30. And so here he is and, and, uh, and these brothers and they begin as he speaks roughly with them trying to feel him out. Are they the same people? They confess something that's been gnawing away at them over the years. It's been gnawing their souls. And they say, it's because of Joseph. God's paying us back because of Joseph. Did we not hear his cries when he was in the pit? And so here he is, and it says that he went out when he heard that, and he wept. And so he sends them home, but he puts their money back in the bags, and he says he keeps one of them, Simeon, and he says, you know, next time you need to bring your other brother back, Brother Benjamin, are they going to treat Benjamin the same way they treated him? And so he's, you know, seeing everything. How's the dad? You know, how's everything going? You know, and Jacob kind of says, no, I'm not going to send Benjamin. I don't want the same thing to happen that happened to Joseph, not knowing the plan of God that was in place. Oh, the glory of God that was going to be unfolded. And so finally when they were in need, he said, okay, take him. And Judah said, I will be surety for him. And so they come into the land again and and here he is and and they dine and Joseph seems like a different person to them and everything seems fine. They send them on their way again, money back in their bags, but this time there was a silver cup put in Benjamin's sack and so they stop him, all the plan of Joseph. And so here they are, and they said, no, I mean, you, you, none of us would do that. We, you've been good to us, you know. Here we are going home with grain. You fed us. We feasted. No way. And they find it in Benjamin's sack, and they tear their clothes. And they come back into the palace, and here Joseph is, and he says, I need Benjamin to stay here. The rest of you can go. And Judah steps forth, and he says, no. And beautiful repentance comes forth and he says, take me instead. Take me instead. And Joseph can't contain himself any longer. He tells his servants to get out and he weeps and weeps and he says, I am Joseph, I am your brother. I am Joseph. And he tells them and he says, don't be angry with yourselves. For it was God who sent me here to go before you. And so throughout Joseph's life, there was something that marked it. There was a solid foundation. And I think that's revealed, and I close with this tonight. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 50. And even in the verse that we read, in Hebrews eleven twenty-two, that he gave them orders concerning his bones, he said, hey, when I'm dead, take me back to the promised land. I know one day we're going. I know one day we're going. I know one day we're going. In chapter 50, verse 15, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, and so Jacob had died, they had all moved down there. They said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So maybe it was all a front. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespass of the servants of God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He said, oh, guys, And the brothers also went and fell down before his face. They said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is of this day to save many people alive. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. It is the Old Testament version of Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love Him and are the called according of His purposes. 
You guys, briefly, I just want to be open for a second. I know Romans 8.28. I've taught on it and... God used circumstances in life, some of the circumstances that brought us down here, to really, really, really break me and my wife. Basically, I came to the place where I sat down in my race. And I had those times, those times of wavering and But things were confirmed to me, the deepest fears I had in my life, the kind of things I would only whisper to my wife in the most intimate of times. And the circumstances that God allowed us to go through shook me to the core of my being. And everything that I thought was turned upside down. And oh, how I had been the encourager and was now the one in prison. And I experienced something that I never experienced all my life. And I experienced bitterness in my heart. I experienced bitterness so powerful and so deep, it was scary. the way I prayed, the way I thought about the body of Christ. It was amazing. And it was a poison to me. And I'd never known bitterness. Two days after everything went down that went down, some dear saint in the Lord gave me a book on Joseph. And I searched Joseph's life and I said, how did he deal with this and what did he do? And there is something missing from his life. There is something missing from his life. And as I've studied and studied and looked and looked and looked and tried to find it, it's not there. And what's missing from his life is bitterness. And I would ask, how could someone who was rejected by his brethren... You know, here he is, supposed to be, you know, uh, the next guy, the heir of all things, and his brothers want to kill him, and they throw him in a pit. Then they sell him as a slave, not to even think about him again. Here he is as a slave, and then, you know, he stands for righteousness. He's put in a prison. He's forgotten about. He's left alone. He's shackled, and he's chained. How can one like that, how can he not become bitter? How can one like that stand against that? How can one go through life like that when... Situation after situation is against you. How can it seem? And how can he make it? And I came to this verse, and I'm convinced that this was the foundation Joseph had. It's what he held to. And basically, Joseph came to me by the Spirit of God, and I just mean in a, as I'm reading through Hebrews 11. And the idea of the race. And here I am sitting down. No. And he picked me up on my collar and he said, Boy, even when God's way seems cruel, even when you don't understand, run. Run. And I said, How? Why? I don't understand God. I don't understand why you'd allow this to happen. I have so many whys. So many whys. So many questions. Why this and why that? And we all have those questions, don't we? The whys. Why this God? Why did you allow this God? Why are you doing this God? Why is this? Why are you doing this? And I don't know if you have those questions. I had those questions. Did I have those questions? And I came to the conclusion... I don't know why God is doing those things. But I know He loves me. And I know He's for me. And I know He's good. 
I know he's good. So Joseph shook me a little bit. He set me on my path again. He said, look at Jesus. Who for the joy that was set before him, you and me went to the cross despising the shame. Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Oh man, you guys. The theme that ran through Joseph's life is trust. And isn't that faith? Yes, it is. But there's an intimate uh, idea in it. The definition of trust is full assurance in the integrity and character of the one we're putting trust in. And God would ask you tonight to trust him and your circumstance through the life of Joseph, I believe. And God would ask you, despite the bitterness, and it's been amazing, every single person who's been up here has mentioned bitterness, and Britt's mentioned it on Sundays. You guys, I'm convinced that there's uh, 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 the people of God in this room, there's chains around them, chains that we've put on ourselves and that aren't supposed to be there. It's like a poison. And as the Israelites on that day, they looked at that you know, serpent on the pole and they were healed. Man, grab this verse, Romans 8.28. I know God works all things together for good. I am convinced of it. It will become my foundation. And how I grab that for the first time is a sword. And how I begin to wield it, oh so feebly, oh so... Oh, just and I grab it, but then the more I grabbed it, the more my knuckles whitened around the hilt of it, and the more I swung it, and the more I trusted by faith and believed in it that God does, and the more I began to believe it, God did an amazing thing in my life, and He set me free from that. And He wants to set us free. He wants us to be people that aren't bound. He's already done all that. And so, people of God, I ask you tonight, if there is bitterness in your heart, if there is unforgiveness, if you are in bondage to something, you guys trust God and it's so hard to let go of, it's so hard to get rid of because we say, oh man, I'm not going to get payback, I'm not going to get revenge, they're never going to say sorry, they're never going to... Exactly. And that's where trust comes in, that's where you've got to leap, that's where you've got to go forth, that's where you just got to fall into the arms of God. And he asks you to fall into his arms tonight. Isn't he good? Has he ever let you fall? Has he ever let you drop? Has one word from his mouth ever fell? So the we'll, prayer team will be over here tonight. And man, we just want to put our arms around you. And we just want to hug you. And we just want to say, it's It's okay. And we want to take your hand and put it in the hand of Jesus. You guys, the carpets are here. Come forth all the blessedness of repentance. All the blessedness of repenting and saying, God, free me from this. God, I've been in this. So we're going to have the worship team come forward now and lead us in worship. Guys, do you believe God's word? Do you believe it? Does it not have power in our lives? Trust Him. As the worship team gets their instruments, I just want to close with this. When I was teaching junior high, I wanted to do this illustration and You know, junior hires are eager, and so I said, hey, can I have a volunteer? And everybody said, me, 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 you know, kind of a thing. So I chose this, you know, boy, kind of rugged, you know, and everything, and I said, come forward. And I said, what I want you to do is I want you to fall into my arms, and I'm going to catch you. He says, you sure? And I said, yeah, of course. I'm going to catch you. And so in an amazing act of faith, he fell backwards, and I just let him fall. And I wasn't really prepared. He's like, ah! and I'm like, here, sign this medical, you know, kind of thing. And then I asked, hey, can I have another volunteer? And nobody volunteered. Everybody's hands down, everybody looking away, not making eye contact. And then I, there's this precious, fragile, just beautiful 12-year-old little girl, and I said, you. She's like, and I said, you. She said, okay. 
So I said, in fact, stand on your chair and turn around and fall into my arms. Before she did, I said, I promise I'm going to catch you. And without hesitation, she fell into my arms and I caught her. And you could hear a gasp and and they're like, what? What? I said, why would this girl do that after she's seen this? And then there was one precious girl and she got it. She said, because that's your sister. (laughs) People of God, get to know God. Get to know Him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Get to know Him. And oh, how you'll be able to trust Him. You guys, lay down the wise tonight. Lay them down. They hold us in bondage and they take our eyes off the finish line. You guys run. You guys, we live in a day and age where people need to see us running hard. You guys run. Run, run, run.